Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Come Follow Me, Disciples Journey. In this episode, I'll be discussing chapters 3 and 4 of Helaman. Now, in previous episodes uh, for this week, I've made a lot of mention of Helaman chapter 6. It's one of my favorites. I think there's just lots of really cool nuggets in there. That said, I think that Helaman 3 and 4 are probably the meat of this week's study. Not to say that other chapters aren't good. They're all good. Uh, But chapters 3 and 4, I think really teach us a lot. There's a lot of lessons to learn um, about pride and humility and prospering in in a wicked society and just being faithful no matter the situation and circumstance. So let's jump right in. What happens in chapters three and four? Zoom in. So... The Nephites are going to start going up northward in, in inhabiting the land north. This is going to be like Bountiful, but also north of that. North of that is what they've been calling the land of desolation. It's where the Jaredite people had been. And there was just... It's the land of desolation because there was just like bones and stuff. It, that's literally like when they first went up there and found some things. It was like they saw people have been desolated. So they called it the land of desolation. So they move up there and they start to build different types of... Bo- of um, it's here's an interesting thing in, in verse four is it says they did travel an exceedingly great distance in so much they came to the large to large bodies of waters and many rivers. So they 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 didn't just go up a little north. They like they spread way out. So we get this great spreading out. Now, note the time frame this is happening. This is like us. This would be like us reading about the 1600s. And so think about how much has changed. I mean, I as an American, I think about American culture, history, geography. 1600s, you know, that's really when the colonies were really starting to really form in the U.S. Um, and, but like only exclusively on the eastern seaboard and a little bit around the bottom, uh, you know, what we like, Louisiana type of thing situation, but still east, east, east. Nothing on the west. Think about what's happened in 400 years. The, the multiplication of people and the spreading of people. So what could have, what can think about that's what Mormon is reading about. He's reading about 400 years before him, his people spreading out. And then, so imagine the kind of civilization that he probably lived in, right? Like when I think, I mean, anyway, I say that just because that helps me to put things into perspective a little, a little bit. Um, I don't think that they multiplied like we have in terms of the the numbers, but I think lots and lots and lots of people. Yes, I do think that. So anyway, that happens in chapter three where they really start to spread out and they um, have moved north. Mormon tells us, and this is one of the several places he tells us, that he says a hundredth part of the proceedings of this people the account of the Lamanites and the Nephites and their wars and their contentions and their dissensions and their preachings and their prophecies, their shippings, their building, their history. He says, a hundredth part of this, I can't even tell you. But there are many books and many records of every kind that have been kept chiefly by the Nephites. So the Nephites have kept really good records documenting all this. I can't tell you even one hundredth part of that. So what am I going to focus on? I'm going to focus on the difficulties. I'm going to focus on the hard times. No, that's what I thought. That's what I thought, right? No, instead, remember, he's he's sticking to like what, what Nephi did in his small plates. He's writing the things of his soul. 
He's writing the things that will benefit us, that he know will benefit, he, that he knew would benefit us. He writes for us, here are some of the history of my people. I've got to give you some context. And so we get some of the history here and there. We get the wars and we get this. We get some of the geography so that we can fit it together and we can understand it. But really what he's focusing on is look at how righteous people behave. Look at the things that lead to wickedness. Look at the pride cycle. I'm going to teach you this pattern over and over and over. I'm going to keep telling it to you. That's what Mormon did. That's what he focused on. So in chapter three, we also get a shift in power here. And it does lead to some some problem. Helaman dies uh, and Nephi, his son, takes over uh, as the chief judge. But for a time, they prosper, okay? Things look okay. It says about Helaman and Nephi, Nevertheless, Helaman did fill the judgment seat with justice and equity, and he did observe to keep the statutes and the judgments and commandments of God. And he did do that which was right in the sight of God continually. And he did walk after the ways of his father, insomuch that he did prosper in the land. Okay, what I want to point out here is that he did good things. He was a good person. Tie that when we get to chapter 5 to his dad, Helaman, saying to his sons Nephi and Lehi, remember, remember, remember it is on the rock of your Redeemer. Remember, remember. He says to remember 13 times to them um, in this discourse that uh, we end up getting written down for us in chapter 5. Remember in Hebrew, the word for remember that's used in the in the Old Testament denotes more than just an active mind like thinking back and remembering it. Denotes an action like remembering the commandments means to remember them and do them. Um, and so you can clearly see from this one verse in chapter three, verse 20, that Nephi did remember and do the things that his father taught. So elder Spencer J. Condy of the 70s said, perhaps of all the evidence of true conversion or remission of sins, this is the most significant, the disposition to do evil no more, but to do, to do good continually. We can strengthen our disposition to do good each time we make and keep covenants. Each time we participate in priesthood ordinances, the power from on high to reach downward and draw us nearer to the heavens. Those who partake of the sacrament and temple ordinances with pure hearts and who are faithfully keep their covenants require no lengthy instructions regarding modest dress, the payment of generous fast offerings and tithings, observance of the word of wisdom, the keeping of the Sabbath day holy. They need no stern reminders to share the gospel, to attend the temple, to conduct family history research, or do their home teaching and visiting teaching, ministering. Nor do they need nudges to visit the sick and serve those in need. These are faithful saints of the Most High who keep the sacred covenants that they have made in the house of the Lord, having a determination to serve Him to the end and truly manifest by their works that they have received the Spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins. Covenant keepers live the law of consecration. Their time, talents, and financial resources all belong to the Lord. Keeping their covenants has caused them to develop a disposition to do good continually. So that's the kind of disposition that these people end up growing in, that led by Helaman and then Nephi. And so great was the prosperity of the church and so many of the blessings which were poured out upon the people that even the high priests and teachers were astonished beyond measure. So things are so good that the, the priests, the high priests, the teachers, the people, admit that the leaders of the church are astonished at the blessings because of how righteous the people are. And Mormon points out some really cool lessons here. He says, Thus we see that the Lord is merciful unto all who will 
call upon his holy name. Yea, we see that the gate of heaven is opened unto all, even those who will believe on the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And this is one of my favorite verses of the Book of Mormon, verse 29. Yea, we see that whosoever will may lay hold upon the word of God, which is quick and powerful, which shall divide asunder all the cunning and snares of the wi- and wiles of the devil, and lead the man of Christ in a straight and narrow course across that everlasting gulf of misery, which is prepared to engulf the wicked, and land their souls, yea, their immortal souls, at the right hand of God in the kingdom of heaven, to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and with all our holy fathers and go no more out. I love this, this imagery and this, this just, oh, I love, I love how Mormon wrote that. We see, whosoever will may lay hold upon the word of God, which is quick and powerful. Everyone has the access to that quick and powerful weapon. Uh, President Benson taught success in the right, in righteousness, the power to avoid deception and resist temptation guidance, uh, in our daily lives, healing of the soul. These are but a few of the promises the Lord has given to those who will come to his, who will come to his word. Does the Lord promise and not fulfill? Surely if he tells us that these things will come to us, if we lay hold upon his word, then the blessing can be ours. And if we do not, then the blessing may be lost. However diligent we may be in other areas, certain blessings are to be found only in the scriptures, only in coming to the word of the Lord and holding fast to it as we make our way through the mist of darkness towards the tree of life. I love that. That's that's. I think that's probably my one of my favorite quotes, if not my favorite quote that I came across this week, that the, the blessings of laying hold upon the word of God. Now, we can go deeper in that, the word of God being Christ, but... Taking it at its base level, the word of God being the scriptures, the word, the gospel, his word written to us and given to us by prophets of old and prophets now. And if we will listen and heed and remember, let's use the word remember. If we will remember, meaning to actually remember, but then also to act. If we will do that, then with this power, these powers to avoid deception, resist temptation, guidance for our lives, healing of our soul. Those are the promises that we have. From, from laying hold upon the word of God. Um, so, <laughs> things are so great and so wonderful. But then, just a few years later, we get this. And then verse 33 is also a kind of funny verse because it's one of those verses I've mentioned in the past where it seems like Mormon maybe had to write something because he didn't have an eraser. And so he says... Everything was good except for some pride that was in began to enter into the church. And then he's like, "Oh wait, not the church of God, but in the hearts of the people of the people who profess to be the church of God." So he makes sure that it, we know that it wasn't the actual church, but it was the people who were claiming to be the church of God. They were prideful, and they were lifted up in pride, even to the persecution of many of their brethren. Now this was great evil, which did cause the more part, a humble part of the people, to suffer. Uh, persecutions and to wade through much afflictions. Nevertheless, okay, here's the, here's the lesson, right? What are they, what were they doing? Nevertheless, they did fast and pray oft and did wax strong, stronger and stronger in, in their humility and firmer and firmer in their faith of Christ, unto the fulfilling of their souls, unto the filling of their souls with joy and consolation, yea, even to the purifying. And of sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of their yielding their hearts unto God. This verse has so much to unpack. So I, I have some quotes I'm going to read, and then I'm going to share my own thoughts. So first, we'll we'll dive into some some quotes uh, about first the pride and of the church and what it can lead to, and then 
into what these people did, what, what separated them, and how they prospered despite being ridiculed and mocked and persecuted despite the pride of other people. How did they uh, become firmer and firmer, and how did they have their hearts purified? So first some quotes, and then I'll do my own little, I'll give you some of my own thoughts. So some quotes about uh, pride, and pride in the church especially. Uh, this is from President, first President Benson. Think of pride, think of what pride has cost us in the past and what is now costing us in our own lives, our own families, and church. Think of the repentance that could take place with the lives changed, marriages preserved, and homes strengthened if pride did not keep us from confessing our sins and forsaking them. Think of the many who are less active members of, their, of the church because they are, were offended and their pride will not allow them to forgive or fully sup, up, sup at the Lord's table. Think of the tens of thousands of young men and couples who could be on missions except for the pride that keeps them from yielding their hearts unto God. Think of how temple work would increase if the time spent in his godly service were more important than many prideful pursuits that compete for our time. Uh, Elder Christofferson said, How can you make the gospel of Jesus Christ not just an influence in your life, but the controlling influence and indeed the very core of what you are? As a first step, you must lay aside any feeling of pride that is so common in the world today. By this I mean the attitude that rejects authority, uh, the authority of God to rule in our lives. You hear it expressed today in phrases such as, Do your own thing. Right and wrong depend on what I feel is right for me. That attitude is rebellion against God. All right, so there's some about pride, what led to this situation. Now let's talk about these Nephites who held strong and were firm in their faith and had their hearts purified. So Elder Christ- this is also from Elder Christopherson. He said, Personal persistence in the path of obedience is something different than achieving perfection and mortality. Perfection is not, as some suppose, a prerequisite for justification and sanctification. It is the opposite. Justification, meaning, meaning being pardoned, and sanctification, meaning being purified, are prerequisites for perfection. We only become perfect in Christ, not independently of him. Thus, what is required of us in order to obtain mercy in the day of judgment is simple diligence. So that is one lesson we can learn from what they were diligent. They didn't uh, they didn't try to be perfect, but they were diligent. And I'll, I'll dive into that here in just a second. Uh, next, and this comes from True to the Faith. It says, To be humble is to recognize gratefully your dependence on the Lord. To understand that you have support and uh, to understand that you have constant need for his support. Humility is an acknowledgement that your talents and abilities are gifts from God. So what stood out to me as I, so I read this and then as I read about how these people were, were humility or found humility, says that they did wax stronger and stronger in their humility. And the word wax is interesting to me because how you like old school, I don't know, maybe it's still the same today, but like make a candle, you get the wick, melt wax, dip the wick in, pull it out, let the wax dry so there's a coat of wax dip it in again pull it back out and you keep doing that over and over and over and gradually so very slowly slow process the wax gets thicker and thicker and thicker around the wick okay so they waxed in their humility means it didn't all come at once and the persecutions and the hardships they were going through as they went through those with faith they were galvanized, they were strengthened, they, their faith uh, was strengthened, and their humility grew stronger. Every time they faced a persecution or hardship, 
That was a dip into the hot, burning, boiling, uncomfortable wax. But as they pulled back out, they were and they, and they hardened. They waxed str- more and more uh, humble. Um, so this quote now from President Nelson: "Only as an individual can you develop a firm faith in God and a passion for personal prayer. Only as an individual can you keep the commandments of God." Only as an individual can you repent. Only as an individual can you qualify for the ordinances of salvation and exaltation. There, the church and the people, the, the people of the church, many of them, and there's and many in their society had become prideful and become wicked. It doesn't matter what they do; it matters what you do. Only you can have faith. Only you for for you. Only you can repent for you. Only you can keep the commandments for you. Only you can keep your covenants. And that's what these people recognized and realized, and they and so they held strong. So now here are the three things that I think I noticed. Number one, nevertheless, they did fast and pray often. That was an action that they took, that they chose to take. They fasted and prayed often. That was an action. Next, they waxed stronger and stronger in their humility. That also is a choice. They chose humility over pride. They chose humility over contention. They chose it. It was a choice. Number three, uh, and firmer and firmer in their faith. And I've talked about this in a previous episode, um, especially back when I, and there was an, an episode I talked about charity and, and choosing charity, but uh, faith is a choice. There's a great talk about that. M- multiple Elder Anderson gave one and uh, Elder L. Whitney Clayton uh, gave one as well, but the choice is a faith and uh, choice is a faith. What faith is a choice. So they chose fasting and prayer, praying often. They chose humility. They chose faith. The choices, they're daily, daily choices every day, every day, every day. It's the small, seemingly insignificant choices that protected these people. And what did it end up doing? That they, they got joy and consolation. Their hearts were purified. And why were their hearts purified? Which sanctification come, came because they're yielding their hearts to God. They were they Their hearts were purified because they got a new heart. Go back to Mosiah chapter 5. Go, go read anywhere where people... Go read the, the account of the Ammonites, the people of... Uh, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, their hearts, they were given new hearts, their hearts changed. And what were they given? They were given Christ's heart. And that heart is sanctified, that heart is purified. And as I read the quote from President, or Elder Christofferson, we only become perfect in Christ. And that comes from Moroni chapter 1032. But sanctification and uh, justification are prerequisites for pure, for perfection. Well, these people, in going through their trials and choosing faith, choosing humility, choosing Christ, were purified. They were chastened through their afflictions. Chastening, and that means to purify. And, and in being purified, they were justified, and they were then given new hearts, Christ's heart, which allowed them to become more like him, and in the long term, in the long run, in the eternities, 
will become and they will become perfect because of that heart. All right, let's move on. Chapter four. I, there's more I could go into, but I want to I want to move on to chapter four. Um. So first, I'm going to start with this quote. Could have read it at the end. Decided I want to read it now. Um. So the Nephites end up dissenting over to the Lamanites, and they take over a lot of land, and they end up losing a large large swaths of Nephite territory. Uh, Elder Ballard said, you must be honest with yourself and remain true to the covenants you've made with God. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you can sin a little and it will not matter. Remember, the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Some of you foolishly rationalize that it is no big deal to sin now because uh, you can always repent later uh, when you want to go to the temple or on a mission or want the blessings. Anyone who does that is breaking promises to God, both in the premortal life and in the waters of baptism. The idea of sinning a little is self-deception. Sin is sin. Sin weakens you spiritually and always places the sinner at eternal risk. Choosing to sin, even with the intent to repent, is simply turning away from God and violating covenants. Sinning weakens you. It weakens the people. We're going to read about that in chapter 4. And on a personal level, it weakens you. You no longer have the power of the protection that uh, President Benson talked about. Resistance of temptation, guidance in our daily lives, healing for the soul. Back last week, I read a quote from President Packard that said, when you keep your covenants, you're entitled to the power. When you don't, you don't have that power. And when we, that's what we see is the Nephite people broke their covenants. And remember, we've talked in, and we've studied throughout the Book of Mormon, the Lamanites always outnumbered the Nephites, but they were always able to overcome because they had the power of God. And they that be that they were, that were with the Nephites were truly more than with the Lamanites because they had God and angels. But Mormon says, and because of this, their great boastings and their uh, wickedness, sorry, because of their great wickedness and their boastings and their own strength, they were left in, to their own strength. So God said, look, if you're going to be prideful and boast in your own strength, you got it. I'm going to leave you to your own strength. And in verse 24, it says, uh, they saw that they had become weak like unto their brethren, the Lamanites, and that the spirit of the Lord did no more preserve them, yet withdrawn from them because of the spirit of the Lord doth not dwell in unholy temples. If you want power in your life, pray for the spirit and be worthy of the spirit that it can be your constant guide. Think of your baptismal covenants. Think of your covenants you made in the temple. Think of the covenants that we make every Sunday to keep the commandments to take upon us, to be willing to take upon us his name and to always remember him. And if we do that, what will we have? The Holy Ghost, the Spirit to be with us, to always be with us. If you want power in this life, that is how it comes. When we are not worthy of the Spirit, it will flee from us and we will be left to our own strength and we will be weak. And the soldiers and the minions of the adversary that we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but principalities and uh, the rulers of the darkness, they will outnumber you. And the fiery darts of the adversary will hit you. But when we are worthy of the Spirit, those that are with us are more than those that are against us. And when we have the armor of God on to protect us, and we have the shield of faith they can quench all the fiery darts of the adversary. We can be safe and protected and only survive. But as was mentioned in the Come Follow Me manual, 
this week. Thrive. We will thrive. Not only survive, but thrive. And Helaman, or Mormon points out for us, and it came to pass that they did repent in so much, uh, in as much as they did repent, they did, be- they did begin to prosper. This is another lesson that is a, uh, it's a, over and over and over, it repeats. This is the cycle. But every time. So we're, and that's, when I say we have to always be worthy, we're all going to make mistakes. And the good news here is in the same chapter, the same, within verses of each other, Mormon points this out. Hey, you sin, the Spirit's not going to be with you, you're going to be weak. But verses away from that, he, he teaches us another thing, that as soon as you repent, you're going to start to prosper. As soon as you repent, always, 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 the arm of the Lord is always extended towards us. And what happens? As soon as they start to repent, Moronihah takes courage. And he says, all right, we're a righteous people. I think I can go get some of our land back. And they're able to go and get half of the, half of it back. That's as much as they're able to get. But before that, Moronihah didn't even want to go and fight because he knew that they were wicked and he knew that they could not win without God on their side. And in life, there are battles that you are going to have to fight that you cannot win without God. There are battles we all have to fight. And it, it can be in a calling. It could be with a neighbor. It can be at your job. It can be a, a circumstance that arises in your life that requires greater faith than you currently have. But you can achieve it by choice, by fasting and praying, by choosing humility, by choosing faith. And by choosing to be on the Lord's side, you will be able to overcome it. But without him, you can't. And you'll be stuck in the wilderness wandering around like Nephi and his family did, where they you know, disregarded the Liahona and they would want, they wandered for longer than they needed to. But as soon as they would repent and as soon as they would give heed to the Liahona, the spirit, it would point them the course that they should go. And so it is with us in our life that as soon as we repent, the Lord will be there um, to guide us and to give us the, the blessings and the power that we need to draw closer to him, to draw others closer to him, and to overcome our trials. So that's, uh, I mean, I hope that you can see why I said chapters three and four are are pretty meaty, and I'd say the meat of this of this week's study, at least it was for me, and maybe and it will be different for everyone. Um, but I hope you can at least see why I I, I said that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you'll join me in the next episode as we talk about chapters five and six. A lot going on in those chapters as well. Some great stuff. I really appreciate you listening, and I hope that you'll tune in uh, into the next episode and moving forward. Good luck in your studies. Let me know. Let me know. I want to know. I want to know your thoughts, guys. Love. I love when you share them. Come follow me, at Disciples Journey, on Facebook. Come follow me, at Disciples Journey, on Instagram. Jailed and Webster at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and good luck in your study. We'll talk next time.